nice. I think it's starting. All right. Awesome. So this is episode five of Research Time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so I have Ashley, who's just going to come on here right now. All right, just waiting Ashley. Awesome. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Oh, you look fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being able to join me today. Um, here we have Ashley. Ashley and I have known each other, oh my goodness, since like your first day of university yeah. because I remember meeting you specifically too because I was a part of like the student um, leadership that welcomes students to the university and you're a part of my group. Yeah, <laughs> about four years ago now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. How time flies, hey? Yeah. Wow. It's wild. Wild. Awesome. Um, so if you'd like, you can you can introduce yourself to everybody who's going to be joining us. All right. I'm a student at Mount Royal University. I'm currently going into my fourth year of studies. Uh, so I met Madeline four years ago because I did one year of kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, and then so I'm in business with a concentration in general management. Uh, I have a strong passion for social innovation and making social change. That's so beautiful. And it's so wonderful. And this conversation is also central to what you are so passionate with. And so I'm really excited to learn from you today, because I feel like it's, uh, it's definitely something I even want to be more equipped to to understand further. And every single time that you know, you and I have even talked about this sort of stuff, my mind is always blown. So I certainly hope for folks listening today, that this this hopefully goes the same way to just because it is so uh, interesting and so phenomenal. So Thank you, like truly thank you so much for being able to join me today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Um, so as we get started, um, it's always important to acknowledge the land that uh, we are situated upon and you and I are both on Treaty 7. So uh, we are currently located on the traditional territory of Mokinsis, uh, which is the city of Calgary, uh, which is uh, Treaty 7 territory, which belongs to the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Nisithapi, the real people. And this uh, belongs to Siksika, Gainai, Bagani, as well as uh, Iahe, Nakoda, which is Stony Nakoda. Uh, and Sutena Nation, which is where Mount Royal University is actually right next to. Um, I acknowledge and we acknowledge in general that this territory is also home to Métis Nation, uh, Region 3 of Alberta, uh, a region that I'm personally affiliated with. Are you as well? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this ours. That's wonderful here. And uh, with this, uh, it makes us even more connected to what we are doing, what we want to promote, and how to uh, further amplify Indigenous voices uh, in any capacity that we certainly can within sovereignty and within uh, humility. So thank you so much again for being able to join. And uh, thank you folks also to be able to be on this territory, to celebrate this territory uh, where we are currently today too. So it's wonderful. <laughs> sure is. Um, yeah, so there's an article that we are reviewing. Uh, it's going to be just a foundational uh, looking at, uh, hopefully a segue into further conversations, further connections that we'll also embark on to, which will be very exciting. 
Um, so I'll let Ashley take it away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the article that we're looking at is by Peter Elson. And it's kind of looking at like the history of um, kind of volunteering and charity within Canada, going back to basically when settlers kind of came to Canada, uh, kind of looking at all of it all the way up to, I believe it was published in 2007. So kind of looking up to about 2007, 2006. Yes, absolutely. And that's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting article too. Uh, because it discusses the history of how charities have come to be within Canada um, and also the way that they have been created and the partnerships that they created and now how government agencies then look at these charities and these uh, establishments in general because it's not just to charities specifically, it's also to other forms of organizations, non-for-profits. Um, it's looking at various uh, aspects. So it's, uh, I definitely learned a thing or two from this article and I thought that was really, 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 really interesting. So uh, with that being said, uh, what did you find that was really interesting with the article? Um, some of the stuff that like, I think I found most interesting was just how old our charity system and our mindset on charity really is like it dates back to like 400 years ago which is insane that we have a system in today's society with all the technology that we have that is still set 400 years ago i think that's like one of my biggest like takeaways is just yeah how old this system is and you're like why did nobody update it and how can we then further update it nowadays? Because I don't think a lot of folks even know how old this system is. And that's wild to me. Like, this is very interesting. And for, for me, with the way that I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it through like uh, a decolonized lens, at least I want to. And the way that it is created was through colonization. And it was through um, the, the uh, Catholic church being a charity per se within this framework. And to me, I just was mind blown because we also know what the Catholic Church also promoted too, which were the residential schooling system too. And uh, they're a big factor in this in this aspect. So it's really important to, to note the way in which that this sort of system founded itself and started. And the way that the, um, uh, how England also too, because England also had a really big uh, part here as well, um, that there was a law as well called the poor law. And that was also, that was also put into place here in Canada too. Yeah, on the poor law, they, um, they basically categorize people by like deserving and undeserving. And so you have to like fit into those categories. And interestingly enough, we still actually put people in those boxes, right? When somebody is applying for subsidy, you have to fill out a form and that makes them deserving of the subsidy or not versus just giving it to them. Um, so we still fall really heavily into that system, even though we don't call it the poor law anymore. <laughs> um, so that's still like a really interesting thing of, yeah, like how do you decide who's deserving of funding and who's not, who's deserving to get a house, who's deserving to get food on their table. Right, right, oh my goodness. Like that's such a, a key notion to reflect upon because I think that also comes with privilege and like that form of like almost ignorance that we forget about these things and who who should deserve this, who 
well everyone does of course like this doesn't make any sense to me like no deciding who who is deserving like why do we create a system where certain people hold power to decide who is deserving because they take all these boxes and then once you take all those boxes you have to fill those specific boxes with the way that you know that charity or that government is telling you how to spend your money and live your life right and when we are then seeking you know you know uh, financial needs as well it's sometimes through government grants or it's through government agencies which now organizations and charities also have some form of funding also given to them in these ways so it's still the government in a way still kind of decides who gets what and how it's located and that i think that needs to be disrupted a little bit i think that folks need to really uh reflect in this in this way and be able to actually understand the way in which these forms of organizations actually work and who it benefits how it benefits them and uh understanding the uh i i guess equity i think equity is big here uh for folks to um understand these notions so it's uh it's very interesting with all of us already oh my goodness <laughs> yeah for sure I, uh there's something else in the article that Peter Elson had said and it's just like the fact that how yeah that government funding comes in is often given to the bigger charities they're more well connected they're able to establish themselves better and to kind of be like this is what we're going to do with it and really follow through on that um and so generally they get the funding and they can continue on doing what they do and if you do think about it kind of where a lot of charities were established was that the government was pretty hands off for the first about 300 years Um, and it was all religious organizations. So the big like organizations that are getting the money are generally rooted in like religion. Which is just kind of fascinating as well that you're like, "Oh, interesting. So things haven't really changed." Mhm. I actually can't help but to think about when the Notre Dame in France uh went on fire and how many people donated uh where I, i think it, it accumulated up to what a billion dollars i yeah, think if or take just to reap that was unbelievable but that was for religion so that's really interesting to me that folks were so devoted to this to this uh to this notion and to to provide in that capacity it was just uh that was mind blowing but yeah when it comes to other forms of um of uh you know uh like issues going on say within Canada or within a uh, global scale like uh, climate change who's then donating where's the money like how is it only one notion gets accumulated money while others are just as needing you know funders and monetary yeah. means in this way like why what's the difference then yeah i really don't know like there's um what's called like expressive functions and this is something that peter's talked about as well and I sat down and like had a conversation with them and those expressive functions are those kind of like art or yeah like even um protesting and stuff like that doesn't always fit into what uh the CRA like allows as charity so they can't be a registered charity so they can't get funds the same way because they're expressive and not in a traditional charity manner oh that's interesting that's actually yeah. very interesting Um 
Wow. Okay. So, so then we can further understand like what then constitutes uh, actual, and I'm saying this with quotation marks, yeah. folks who are listening <laughs> um, just to the podcast as well, but it's it, what's functional in these ways of being designated as charities. Um, is there limits? What are the limits then uh, with it in that way as well? Yeah, so there's like four pillars of charity in Canada that was set up a long time ago. It was with the pencil case. Can't remember exactly, but a long time ago. Um, and yeah, those haven't really changed. It's like the, uh, the relief of poverty. So not the prevention, but the relief mm. of poverty um, for educational purposes, for religion and for, I think, community well-being or something like that are kind of the four. So you have to fit into those four pillars. And so there's certain things like a lot of sports don't fit into those pillars. So they don't qualify to be a charity. Okay, that's interesting too. But yet there's, um, because I was a part of uh, uh, of the Quidditch team when I was a part of, uh, in, in, you know, at the University of Ottawa. And yeah. we were always looking for donations and and um, uh, things to assist us by, like financially for folks on the team who might not have the means to actually pay for being a part of the team. Yeah. Um, as it was, you know, a little bit expensive just because of the travel that we were doing, the equipment that we were using, and um, also the fees to Quidditch Canada uh, because we also had to pay for membership in that way too, just so, you know, all the T's and I's were crossed and everything was good. And, you know, risk was also accounted for. So all these, all these things within it. Um, but that was a major limitation too, was then to look for finances and look for these monetary gains, uh, through donations, through foundations, um, in this way. And there was like a, there's a little bit of a process to actually be able to do it. But what was explained to us was because we are a club within the University of Ottawa, we were able to still get money in a way. Um, as long as it was still affiliated to the University of Ottawa. So we ended up looking for internal um, grants and such in that way. So I just, uh, I, I think that's actually really interesting to reflect upon, especially within this conversation too, is the access to even have, you know, donations and the way that works as well within it. It's just, all of this is just really, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> And you're like, I'm just trying to help people. Like, why is this so difficult? Absolutely. And it's, uh, I don't know. It just makes me a little bit more impassioned to further understand the system, I guess, with charity, um, which I think also brings us to a really interesting uh, conversation as well uh, called... Um, Poverty Inc. So what the question though is what does it mean for understanding our systemic history of the creation of charities? And um, yeah, Ashley had me watch a documentary that really opened my mind. Yeah, so Poverty Inc. for anyone that doesn't know is kind of looking at foreign aid and kind of our effect that foreign aid has had on poverty. Mainly it is through an American lens, but in Canada we are also have quite a bit of foreign aid that we give out so we're not completely innocent in this either <laughs> um yeah i think it's just i don't know it's really interesting because we we seem to like want to give money in a way of like being good people right and like 
we get that and we want to really help people, but then it doesn't always help people. So one of the things that the documentary really like pointed out was the fact that it hurts economies when we give free things, right? Because then they can't produce that in their economy. And that's a huge system error because if we actually want to help people out of poverty, they need to be able to sustain themselves and giving them free things doesn't sustain that kind of system. What would, I know that this is a big question that I'm just about to ask, but what do you think would be better to do in place? I think in place you need to, instead of like, I think donating is still okay, but you need to donate with like to things that are creating jobs. I think, you know, in a big crisis, it's very important to donate and relief is important in those times because there is no economy going on to like really help people at that moment. So in that time, it is really good to donate and it's really helpful, but then it's important to also take a step back out of those countries and let their economy, you know, do what they need to do again. And, you know, some of those donations, if you want to continue to donate and be involved, some of those donations can go towards job creation because that is super important and that will help people further themselves long-term versus short-term. Right. And what I really loved about the documentary too is because it also showed an example of that notion in action where folks were uh, creating solar panels uh, for streetlights. And the creation of that generated so many jobs and so many opportunities for these folks to better uh, one, to to think about the impact, and they did so in like a solar way, so it was very ethical in that manner. Um, but then they also thought about the generations uh, after them too, so for creating jobs and continuing that notion of creating jobs. So that was uh, that was actually really beautiful to see because when we look at these countries as well, I hate saying this, but it's like the media programs us to say it the way I'm just about to say it. And we say third world countries. What the heck is that? Why do we say that? I don't understand that. And with that too, it's, uh, it's really important to disrupt that notion as well, because they're not just third world countries. These are other countries. These are our brothers and sisters. Like these are folks that are wanting better, of course, for their countries economically. And the reason why that they're so limited and limited and limited is because of the donations that are actually impeding on their economy. So it's it's harming them more so than benefiting and supporting them. Um, so I think that's, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a good thing to talk about even with that too. I hate the way that media designs us to think about countries being lesser than our country, for example, being in Canada. And we always say too, how lucky we are to be in Canada. However, Canada has a lot of injustices. Has a lot of issues. <laughs> we have a lot of issues going on here too. So it's like, it's, it, I don't know where that comparison comes in. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely the way that the media has portrayed it uh, to us to kind of think of these countries that way like on the um, solar lamp type of thing they were talking in the documentary and they were like yeah somebody else from like it was America had come in and was like oh we should get these people solar lights and didn't even realize that there was an already set market there that somebody was doing that and it disrupts it so I think it's like really important for us to do more research 
on other countries before we just go and assume that they don't have the same things that we have. Like they are very capable and for some reason we don't get that kind of impression from the media. Right. I wonder why that is because I know there's also what the what the documentary also brought up too which I think is really interesting is how many famous people, famous advocates, celebrities are also a part of these charities, these uh, foundational works, Bono, uh, Angelina Jolie, um, I think uh, a couple other folks as well, but those are two really main pivotal folks uh, who are in front of uh, these these uh, charities and these works to in- involve their uh, populations to then donate to these causes. And there's also, you know, songs devoted to to these notions, like uh, uh, that Christmas song for Live Aid, um, Live Aid in itself, uh, which which occurred in the 80s, uh, with um, with Queen being a major headliner for that for that cause too. But um, I'm, it's not that I'm saying that these notions still aren't important to raise awareness in ways, but I'm still curious of the way in which it's still being painted. Yeah, I find that also very interesting. Like I said, we've not really stepped away from the way I guess we see some of those countries, right? Because we hear in the news about some disaster happening, like the earthquake in Haiti. And then they're like, oh, well, like, Haiti is really poor. We need to help them. But then they never correct it or follow up later of being like, oh, Haiti's doing really good economically. Like, these are areas that they're really growing in. and so we just never hear that other side of the story, I think. And like, I don't know, I think a lot of celebrities, you know, have like, they care a lot, right? Like a lot of people in the entertainment industry have really big hearts. That's the reason that they're like singers. Um, Absolutely. And like, that's why they've gotten involved because they want to do the best that they can, but they also don't have the time to educate themselves fully. They have a team behind them that are like, yeah, we think this is a really good cause for you. It seems to really like resonate with you. And also there is the matter generally of money being involved, you know, Mm. because poverty, unfortunately, is a business. Foreign aid is a business. And there are people that are getting money from this. So, you know, that is, I think, something that also comes in is like, okay, well, like how much money are you going to give us to say this because we have a platform and we can, right. you know, we can get you a million dollars in revenue essentially for all your staff to keep going, to keep marketing. And the bigger you get, the more money you make at the top, right? So there is also a whole business scheme behind a lot of these foreign aid like um, companies. Right. And I think that brings up another really interesting and important conversation too with what's happening with me to we and uh, what's even scandalous, again, quotation marks, folks, uh, within Canada <laughs> um, for Trudeau. And now there's like a big thing going on with me to we and me to we as an organization, even I have done volunteerism with. Uh, I've been a fo- photographer with them at some of the we day events. Um, so it's really interesting to then see this charity almost being brought up to light um, in this way. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. So I think there's a couple of things that happen with 
the me to we. So the me to we is the social enterprise part of it for profit, and then they have their we charity. I think formerly known as Free the Children. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, and so I think those are very different entities. How those run are quite different. Even their um, when they go and they do the like oh, what are those called? They're like kind of tours that they go around and they like build schools and yes stuff like that right so all of those are actually run under their social enterprise they're not under the charity sector hmm which is kind of fascinating because you're like oh so it's under the corporate side so you're making profit off of this um yeah so it doesn't actually fall under their charity sector that's really interesting because i also know too that the the midwe charity side of it too with these i guess with the with the enterprises where students like students in school will apply to do tours in these uh countries where midwe works basically inside of them to create schools look for clean access to drinking water um uh, support for education and those notions so they will invite students children to go to these countries but students have to pay to do it so what they do sometimes too during their wee days is have a contest for students to apply or to you know have it for free so that their air fair travel all that good stuff is all paid for by the organization in itself so students children are almost unaware of how the charity in itself works because we all assume that wow this is something that's good i can help someone i can give someone access to education i'm doing good so we don't think about the other side of that coin what is good actually meaning what are the charities actually doing so it's uh it's really important to talk about these notions even inside a classroom with students so that they can actually understand the whole system at large almost in regards to these organizations because i don't think everyone has the full picture of it yeah and they're very influential not like in a bad way but you know when their favorite celebrity is coming to talk at we day yeah they're they're going to want to go they're going to want to be involved and i think that is something that like they've really tapped into to use as a marketing tool towards these kids to you know get some money and you know to sort of continue to make this system work for them and mm-hmm. i don't think everything that they do is bad i don't think they yeah. have bad intent by any no. means no. i just think that they're working a system that is broken that is already not working and it continues to allow them to work that system. You know, I think you need to look at the broader charity system. You need to be looking at what is our foreign aid policies and how did those come to be and who is benefiting from them? Right. Is it the people that were helping? Not really because if it was helping, we wouldn't still be going to these countries to build schools. You know, right. and I think that's some of the stuff that needs to be looked at is who who is gaining from this because it doesn't seem to be the people that we are trying to help which is where everyone's good intent is but if you really look at it it doesn't seem to be helping right absolutely and uh, i'm not meaning to knock the charity too even i've been a part of it and i really love the days that i'm a part of it and able to see the joy on 
you know, students' face. Like you really do feel like you're making a difference in these ways. What just matters most is then the education behind it and how everything works. And I think that we're doing our students an injustice uh, if we don't explain it to its full entirety. But the issue is, is that I don't think a lot of educators even and again, it's bad to generalize, but I think it's, it, I think even I didn't even know about the whole intricity with charities and the way that it works. So even I'm coming from a new lens of understanding and still learning and through that process. And I think it's really important to disrupt it almost and to then learn from it, to then do better for, for the students that I hopefully to one day again, uh, be able to teach so it's it's just a whole process and it's a it's an important process for a lot of folks to to go through especially folks listening to this um um, to this igtv and also to the podcast that'll be uh, put forward to too to really reflect what charities do you potentially give money to and have you done your research also on these charities have you done your your work towards actually understanding the way in which that it works and if they are um, also coordinated under the CRA because that's also a government institution that checks and balances each of the charities that are registered over 175,000 charities in Canada alone yeah <laughs> so all these all of these notions uh, need to be really talked about and really reflected upon yeah and I think generally people just have a really hard time letting things go so like we have a charity in canada for polio Mm. why great question (laughs) um we we don't have uh, i don't think we have any cases or maybe very few cases of polio in canada um you're you're like i'm not too sure well who's donating to this cause but maybe they've just always donated they've been around for like 100 years people to get like people get really attached to charities right because it pulls out their heartstrings and they don't want to like let it go and uh so charities never really fully step out when really they should when there's no longer a need for them they're still around still getting donations still employing people and like it is it is fascinating how much people love charities and i think that's such a great thing and i think it's something that's really like prominent in canada is Mm -hmm. that we love to help people but we also have to ask ourselves, you know, is this charity necessary? And something that we do a lot in social innovation is we ask ourselves, like, are we doing something for somebody or with somebody? Mm. Because you should always be doing it with somebody because like we're always taught in social innovation, we're not allowed to touch any issue we do not have personal experience with unless we go out and talk to somebody for a large amount of hours and really, really understand that. But it should always be with and that's the thing with foreign aid it's often not with it's for right with lack of understanding and lack of i guess it is that key notion of 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 empathy and um potentially i don't know it's just it just seems interesting to me and i love the way that you explained it too that it's really important for you to not touch anything that you don't have a personal experience with I think that's actually something that could be reflected in a lot of aspects uh, that we love our lives. And to really understand the key notions of, uh, say, for example, the Black Lives Ladder movement. So with that, like for me to be a good ally, it's important to understand my, my privilege, I think, my capacity in this way. 
Um, and to educate myself every single day, basically, because it is an ongoing process and it's always about education, um, how there's, you know, still injustices being done and how there's still no action towards Breonna Taylor and her uh, murderers being captured or whatever the case there. So it's, it's important to then check it, check where I am and to then build upon it in ways where my brain is literally open to receive all information possible. And I think that's a really good way at least to go about it because as much as I don't have experiences with the Black Lives Matter movement specifically, but I do have experiences as an indigenous woman, which sometimes parallels uh, to, to, to the movement. So it's uh, a little bit different, but of course, I think that's why I'm so impassioned to, to further talk about it. And it is because of my, my, my injustices that has been faced by my, from my, my ancestors and my family. So it's just very important in that way, I think. Um, but I think a lot of folks really should be reflecting on the way in which that, uh, which experiences affects them and how they can honor that and be able to work with it and to be able to find something within their lives um, potentially to further um, support these notions, charities, foundations. Uh <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's the thing is like, you know, if you are coming from a background that you're like, oh, like I do have white privilege, I can use my white privilege to help the situation, but I can't speak fully on the behalf of somebody that is struggling in this area because you're like, I, I don't know the struggles. I understand their struggles and all of that. And I can help to be like, okay, well, these are some policies that I know of and maybe I can get us in the door. But, you know, it's your topic to like speak on and be there and be like, these are my experiences. But it could be me helping navigate the law side of things because mm -hmm. I more have the privilege to be able to get in those doors. And I think like that's where it's super important to like realize what are the you know what are the things that I know well and how can I help that issue in that way but yeah it is very important that any issue that you're helping with yeah that you have that lived experience or at least you know have somebody in the room that is going to be very much so that voice for that you know experience. I love that, I love that. and that also um talks about too like who is at the table who is partnering with you and who are you working with and how are they also being represented in appropriate and proper and ethical ways as well because it sometimes it's easy for organizations or whatever the case to tokenize folks in the room by accident like they don't realize that they're doing it but accidentally it does happen so what are ways then to to maybe support that as well yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it's it's really building that compassion and understanding and really seeing people as people. And I think that's what doesn't happen a lot, because like that is something that we've even talked about in the context of charity is like maybe we're like we need to have make sure that all boards, all charity boards have somebody on there that has lived experience. But my concern with that is it's another box to check, mm. which means we are checking the box, but not actually doing the work. We're like, yep, okay, they're on the board, but we don't listen to them. Right. When they come in with ideas and thoughts, we're like, okay, yeah, but you don't know. We have all the money, we have all the power, you know, which is something that we tend to do. And we don't realize that we do, and we don't mean to do it in a harmful way, but it is something that we tend to do is like because that's how we've been wired to think about people that are in need they're needy meaning 
they don't have the experience that we have. So we don't actually, when we put them on boards, we don't actually listen to them. So I think that's super important to do some of that like inner work to really, you know, be like, okay, well, these are human beings. They have valid points. They have lived experience. They have things that I don't have. And to really see them as equals of an opportunity to learn from each other. Right. And that's what being in a full partnership really means is being able to learn from each other at all components, at all uh, stages, at every single notion. I think with it too, it's just really important to just listen and to also respect and to be learning with at the whole entire capacity of that situation. Because personally for me, like it's, it's just important to to really learn from people all the time. And I think that's also cultural uh, because whenever my mom talks to me, she's always giving me teachings. She's always, you know, educating me in, in whatever way possible. Like even today with the sewing machine, like she was just like, Madeline, this is how you do it. This is the bobbin, this is this. And then, you know, I hemmed my shirt and bada bing, bada boom. So that's great. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's because I'm programmed, though, to always listen and to take knowledge in within any sort of interaction and experience that I'm a part of. And I, I wish folks could do the same. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, like I said, I think that work really starts within each of us. And that's really what's going to make the difference is then when those people are sitting on those boards or those people are in government making those decisions, they can be like, oh, you know what? I don't know about this issue. Let's go do research on it. Let's go listen to people. Or, you know, they have just throughout their life listened to people and really understood their story. And they're like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, hearing about this. I remember this being an issue, you know, versus being like, I've never heard about that. Like people right. do that quite often. They're like, that's not an issue. That's not a real like thing. And they invalidate the problem quite quickly or they'll point fingers at something that seems really easy like even with this uh the we day stuff right like mm. quickly pointing fingers at the we organization and not the system right. that created the problem you know let's let's point our fingers at the governmental system that was created that allows this to happen like why aren't we looking at policies and you know the structural system or how we think about charity and instead we're just looking at one organization that falls into this category, but there are many organizations that are doing this exact same thing that we are not questioning. Right. And what ways do you, do you think would be good for our viewers and our listeners to understand and to take away from our, our teachings today? What do you think would be really important for folks to begin to do uh, every single day? I think again, it's just, a bit more of that research behind things like where does it come from and you know being a little bit more questioning with things and I always hate saying that because I think charities get questioned a lot like they were told everything has to be out in the public people are like <laughs> I need to see all your financials and that's not fully what we want to do but we also want to question okay so if you're trying to make a difference in this category and it's not happening why is it not happening like what what's not in place with our system it might not even be the charity it might be how we think how we donate what we do and I think that is really kind of important to look at and again just really I think that questioning is the charity doing something for somebody 
or mm-hmm. doing something like with somebody where they will eventually hopefully step out of that position and they will become independent. I think that is really important to look at in a charity. That's beautiful. And that's key with partnerships. That's key with empathy. That's key with understanding and giving yourself that ability to understand. And, uh, and that that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so is there anything else that you think would be beneficial to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, something that we talk about a lot in like in charity work is just that power dynamic is also really important to look out for as well, because a lot of times we do find um, that charities, again, well intended, don't always have the power to actually shift things. And they're the ones working on the ground with the people, but they can't always get the government funding that they need or they can't always get the donations right so again that's where a lot of the celebrity endorsements come in you have to be a big organization to get a celebrity endorsement so i think think about some of those power dynamics think about how you hold power as a donor um, because you do hold power where you donate your money can make a big difference and if you're donating to a big charity they may not fully need the funds because they can pull on a lot more government funds than some of the smaller ones Um, So I think those are some of the things that I always encourage people also to think about is just those power dynamics is, yeah, who's who's holding the power? Who has control over this charity? I'd love to say it's the people working in the charity or, you know, the beneficiaries that are really benefiting from it. But it is something to think about when you donate. You just need to let the money let the money go trust the charity. You should have already done kind of some research and you're like, yeah, I think they have good intent. And I think they know what they're doing. You know, are they working with people? If they're working with people in that area, they probably know what they're doing. Donate the money and, you know, don't question them. We don't do that with businesses. When we buy a product, we don't go, where are you spending this money? You're not like, oh, which staff member is getting, you know, the profit from from my uh, thing that I bought? Like, you don't do that. So I don't think we should do that as much with charities and with our donations. Like, we need to stop putting ourselves in a power seat against charities and start working with Mm -hmm. them. Absolutely. And that's a really important notion too that you did bring up about businesses and how we also don't question the products that we receive every single day and the way in which it's ethically made or um, you know, or not, or it really does depend. And sometimes our tags even tell us a lot about yeah. where it's sourced, where it's created. Um, and sometimes there's a lot of ethical issues too with the way in which that occurs too. So it's really important to, again, do research, uh, obtain knowledge and understand in that way and how to be an ethical buyer. And that's the same thing too with what you're sharing as well as being an ethical donator. Uh, So really understand where you're putting your money towards and hopefully it's for a really good cause and one that you have faith within that you believe in and one that will truly make a difference. So that's wonderful. That's really good to reflect upon. And I think that's key with what is occurring, especially with what's going on right now. It's just really good to just better educate ourselves and to take the time and to divulge and to you know, large corporations like Walmart, what are they doing? What you up to, buddy? Like, I want to see your minutes. I can see your meeting minutes. I'm curious of actually what you are uh, doing organizationally. So it's, uh, it's, it's cool to take the time. 
Yeah, and the other fascinating thing with some of the big corporations is, right, they do some damage to yeah. different, you know, areas, and then they'll donate to it. And mm. everyone's like, oh, they're such a hero. Like, I mean, there are a number of, you know, billionaires out there that have not treated their employees well, yet we see them as philanthropists because of the amount of money and effects that they now have. But, you know, it's not necessarily they didn't start that way and I think that's right. the interesting thing or they're still doing things in their company that aren't ethical yet they're out here and making sure that the public are very aware of their charity givings and what they're doing around charity mm-hmm. so I think that's another just interesting thing to think about as well absolutely that's a fabulous thing to reflect upon and to really see and witness and understand in that way because it's good to be critical it's good to have that lens on and especially now that hopefully the listeners and uh, the folks uh, also with the IGTV can now have is asking these questions and these are just new tools for your tool tool belt so um with that um i know that we have it's it's already uh end of time but i'm just curious if any folks who are listening have any questions might give a little bit of time for that yeah i love to question time it's like my favorite time <laughs> it's always a good time i think uh yeah maybe we got a little bit too impassioned <laughs> <laughs> but i love it i love it so much <laughs> It's a cool topic. It's it's one that really makes me like my blood flowing, you know? It's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that's one not researched a lot, too, not talked about because it's like it's kind of taboo to talk about something good because obviously we still need charity. There's still problems out there and we can't just be like, "Oh, we're going to get rid of charity and people are left, you know." impoverished on the street like that's not a good situation to be in right and so i think that's always a bit of a fascinating kind of thing it's like hey yeah sometimes we have to question a system that is helping people which seems weird to be like is this actually good is this actually doing what it's supposed to be doing you know but i think it can always be more effective and that's sometimes a really hard thing to do is to question something that is seen as something that is very good and is doing good in the world as well yeah. And that's good to to note too especially because you you are a social innovator. So it's really important to always think about ways to innovate something um even though it's working great. Quotation marks again folks. Uh <laughs> and if if it is, if it's not, who knows. Um but your role is to really understand the nitty-gritty of everything and to be able to almost reform it in a way that really is uh, sustainable, beautiful, and supportive for the folks that it actually works with in partnership. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Is there anything else that, um, um, I guess, sorry, what are you actually wanting to do when you're complete your degree? Like what, what is next for you? What do you think? Oh man, that's a big question. When I've been wrestling a lot with COVID-19, <laughs> um, things I feel like just keep changing because it's really hard to predict the future these days. Um, I would like to, I mean, ideally I'd like to open my own company in social innovation consulting. So working with all different kind of levels of government, levels of, you know, corporations, nonprofits, kind of really tackling a lot of these issues and doing exactly what I've kind of done with charity. We'll research it for, you know, four months, really dive into an issue 
really see where the problems are. You know, you come with come to us with an issue. We are like, yeah, I really want to help poverty. We dive into it. We find some of the ways to really try to affect the system. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we give you kind of some of those tools to affect it. And then you can go out and hopefully make that actual change. I love that. I think you're going to do so wonderful when you get to that step because the way that you care and the way that you are so impassioned with all this and even helping me to be further educated within it too, it just shows your devotion and your wonderfulness, I think, within it. So just, yeah, you got it. Like, you're going to be so successful when that happens. Like, COVID or not, like, it's it's a great thing to do. And it's, uh, I think it's really important for folks because that kind of alludes to like program evaluations too, or with everything, 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 (laughs) social innovation literally applies to everything. Everything has a system that goes into it. Um, And that's the thing is I'd love affirm that. Yeah, let's, let's tackle it. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Yes. You got this. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Awesome. Well, I think uh, I think that's all that time we have. But again, I just wanted to say, uh, Marcy, thank you so much, Ashley, uh, for uh, uplifting this voice, uplifting uh, what we are talking about, and how it is important to just be critical of everything that we are met with um, in regards to charities, donations, what we are doing as consumers, as well as that is also important. And truly, just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being able to spend the time with me. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great to like talk about this issue and get it out there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, I'll see you later. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.